Today's scripture comes from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's a real pleasure and delight to be here, and I'm not this tall, so I'm going to lower this. Um, funny story, there's somebody in my congregation who, after I preached this sermon, came up to me. They're a couple, and they said, oh, you know, we decided that as we got married on our ring, we wanted to engrave First John chapter 4, verse 18, which is something on the, along the lines of uh, perfect love casts out fear, something about love. It's real great. But then the the guy forgot to add uh, the one. And so it was John chapter four, verse 18, which goes, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We delight to be in your house and to be with your people. Thank you so much for the privilege of using me to bring your word. My brothers and sisters here, my neighbors, my friends are uh, dealing with many things, and we pray that you would meet us and we would encounter you today. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a child development study that was done called Strange Situation. It's where they took uh, babies from nine months to 18 months old. They placed them in their room, in a room with uh, one of their parents. And there's toys, there's activities, and uh, the kids, they get acclimated to the area. And all of a sudden, a stranger comes in, someone they don't know. And the stranger comes and takes a seat on uh, the chair next to the parent. They start getting into conversation. And then the parent, mom or dad, starts to walk out slowly from the room. In one scenario, you see the baby getting up, hollering, fighting, wailing, crying, calling out for mom or dad, you know, just attached to their leg. And then in another scenario, parent, different baby, walks out, and the baby is playing with the toys, looks at mom or dad at the door, and just goes straight back to playing with the toys and the activities. I don't know if you have kids or not, or if you even want kids, but if you did desire one of these two babies, which is the one that you would rather have? It's the calm, it's the collected one, it's the cool one. This is a New York City baby, right? Go to Main Street by yourself, take the seven train into Midtown. That's the kind of baby we would want. But in fact, the study shows that the baby that is crying and is not collected, the one that's just going crazy and in needing mommy or daddy is the one that has healthy, in a healthy way, developed their attachment to their parents. While the other one that is cool and collected on the outside is the one that hasn't appropriately or has not yet fully developed their attachment. In other words, the one that is going crazy is the baby that doesn't have their identity apart from their parents. You see where I'm going with this. And in many ways, even as adults, I think that we can take the posture of the calm and collected baby, don't we? On the outside, we act like everything is so good and everything is so cool and that we got life under control, but many of us are like ducks, very chill above the water, but you know what's going on underneath the water, right? The, the legs are just flapping around and going crazy just to stay afloat in life. Inside, we are so anxious and we are so exhausted and we are so stressed, but we uh, have these mechanisms and these strategies of distracting ourselves with these big boy toys and these big girl toys, and so we get so excited about the new iPhone 14, 
We get so excited about a new job. We get so excited about uh, the prospect of a significant other. Maybe a, a new home for some of us in this very terrible economic situation. And like the baby, some of us, we can convince ourselves that the stranger in the room is somebody that is actually safe. Someone that is someone that we need. When in fact, this is just a stranger. We had just met them today. And so we are, some of us, in these cycles of dependence. We need to be in this relationship. We need to be dating. The society tells us that, oh, if we are not yet married by this age, then we are incomplete or that we're broken. Oh, that if I don't have kids or I don't have two kids, that I am less than. Some of us with children, our children can become our trophies and these uh, projects of redeeming ourselves from our childhood. You know what I'm talking about. We could be so insecure, but we want the world to see that we have life under control. Take a second now to kind of reflect on what you are going through at the moment. What do you bring here? What are you bringing here today? What's going on in the corners and the recesses of your heart? In other words, if I could put it this way, if God was real, if God was real, where would you want him to show up in your life? In our passage today that my wife read, we are introduced to this Samaritan woman, and I think that many of us, if not all of us, can resonate with the Samaritan woman. She is just like us. What she and we need are at least three things, grace, truth, and a savior. Grace, truth, and a savior. If you're going to fall asleep on me, I'm going to give you the summary of the whole sermon. So here it is. We need an encounter with grace. We need an encounter with the truth. And we need an encounter with Jesus. So first, look at me, an encounter with grace. Look at verses six through nine. If you have your Bibles, look there, so I'm not lying to you. It says this, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So what we see here is Jesus' full humanity is on display. He is tired from the journey. He is heading back to Galilee and he is going through this land of Samaria. He sits down by the well. He takes off his Air Jerusalems, his sandals, and he is massaging his feet. And then all of a sudden, this woman comes, this Samaritan woman comes at noontime to fetch some water. Who is this woman? Who is this woman? First, she is a woman. Simply, she is a woman in a time and, and a culture where women were not as respected, were not considered equals. The uh, testimony, the word of a woman was not believed. You had to go and talk to the man or the husband to understand and to believe. Women were less than first. Secondly, in a time when women went to the well together as friends, as a group, she is here all by herself. What does it mean? It means that she is utterly alone. She has no friends. So it's been a long time since I've been to a club, but for some of the younger people over here, um, if you're at a club and you saw a woman at the bar or dancing by herself, it's, it's slightly odd. That's what's happening. Third thing about this Samaritan woman is that she comes here at noon. It's the hottest time of the day. 
Why is she here at the hottest time of the day when she is supposed to be uh, coming earlier when the sun isn't as strong or later at golden hour when the sun is setting? It is way too hot for this woman to be here at the well fetching water. It means that she is so, so alone. She has no friends, and she's coming here at a time where she should not be here. So taking the club analogy, it's as if she was at a club by herself at noontime. What club is open at noontime? None. She shouldn't be here. She's avoiding something. Fourth, she is a Samaritan. It means that she is ethnically mixed. She is other. She is from a people group that is despised. The Jews don't like her. That's why she's asking, aren't you a Jew? You know I'm a Samaritan, right? There is uh, differences. There is feud. And lastly, fifth, she is unnamed. She is unnamed. If you know the Bible, the chapter right before, it talks about a man named Nicodemus, this Jewish leader. But here we have a Samaritan woman who has no name. She is despised. She got no friends. She has no people to go to the well with. She is avoiding something or someone. She is someone who is unseen, and in fact, she wants to be unseen. One therapist said this, that avoidance is our greatest coping mechanism for those in pain. Avoidance is the greatest coping mechanism for those in pain. She is someone who has uh, given up on life, and she's figured out how to make it by by not doing too much and not doing too little. She's just kind of waiting for the end. How many of us are feeling like that right now? You're just trying to make it by. You're doing just enough. You're just feeding your body with the food, with the sustenance that you need. She has found a way to cope with what's going on, with the pain. But we know, many of us know that the very things and the very places that bring us pain and that we are trying to avoid are the places that remind us again and again and again of that pain. We cannot avoid it forever. So she comes here alone because she's utterly alone. And yes, she's decided to come here at noon. That was on her own volition. That's her own agency. She is a full adult. And so she is avoiding it. She doesn't want to interact with others, but every day she is reminded of who and what she is. She is this unnamed Samaritan woman who comes to the well at noon by herself. Look at verse 4 with me. It writes, now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. What does this mean? Many of the Jews, if you read the commentaries, went around the land of Samaria because they didn't want to interact with the Samaritans. Again, they are ethnically different, and they, the, the, the Samaritans are a people that are a mixed. They're a mixed group of people. And so all throughout the scriptures, you see that the Samaritans and Jews just don't get along. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. He could have went around, but he didn't. Why? It's because he had to go and meet and encounter the most unimportant person in the world. The most unimportant person in the world, but she is the most important person to Jesus. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're unseen. Maybe you're trying to avoid something or someone. Maybe you are utterly alone. Maybe you are running away. 
Maybe there are people in your life, family, and friends that don't even know that you've come to a Sunday worship service here in Flushing High School today. But you are looking for something. Maybe you're a longtime Christian, but this week was especially, especially hard for some of you. And you don't want to be here. We can be honest. You're not too excited about this Thanksgiving lunch after the service. You'd rather go home. Maybe you've been here for a while and your MO is to kind of just slip in and slip out through the front and through the back. Maybe that's your desire. Jesus had to go through Samaria because of her. Jesus is here with us because of you. And he comes full of grace. What is grace? Grace is an unmerited gift. It is undeserved favor. It means that we didn't uh, earn it. We couldn't perform for it. God has given that to us. The fact that he strikes conversation with this Samaritan woman at the well at noontime is the beginning of an offer that she has been looking for her whole life. This woman is so thirsty. And Jesus is here. And Jesus is talking with her. She is shocked. She says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I know you are not blind, sir. You see me and you know what's going on here, right? I'm I'm not going crazy. You're talking to me? You are a Jew. You are a man. Why are you talking to me, a Samaritan woman? This makes absolutely no sense. How are you asking me for a drink? You don't think that this hydro flask, this canteen, this water jar that I'm holding, that I've touched with my lips is dirty? You don't think that it's contaminated, sir? Jesus Jesus is full of grace. He is slowly letting her know that she is not too dirty for him, that she is not too bad for him, that she is not too evil for him, that she is not too other than him. One hymn John Wesley wrote, it goes like this, Jesus is more full of grace than I of sin. Jesus is more full of grace than I of sin. Look at verse 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is now being so clear about the offer that he's given to her. I can give you living water. You're coming here at noontime every single day, fetching water to to quench your thirst. I want to give you living water. How does she understand it? Only in physical sensibilities. Where's this well? I I need this water. I don't want to ever come back here again. Yes, I need this water. Please give it to me. Show me where it is. And of course, we understand this. That's how we would understand it as well. We would only see it with our physical eyes and not understand the spiritual implications of what he's saying. But in order to receive the gift of grace, you must realize who it is that is offering you this gift. The gift is nothing without the giver. In other words, this ain't no magic water. It comes from Jesus himself. And so we must encounter grace. And even when we do, when we do, Even in our limited vision and understanding, we can then repeat with the Samaritan woman in verse 15 where she says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We need an encounter with grace. But secondly, we we all need an encounter with truth. 
Now Jesus is ready to speak to this unseen, undervalued, unworthy, dirty woman with no friends. It's because she's encountered grace. And that order is so important. Grace first and then truth. He says, go call your husband and bring him back here. To which she says, I don't have a husband. To which he replies, you're right. You don't have a husband right now, and the man that you're with is not your husband. You've also had five husbands in the past in your life. That's a lot. But if you look at the scripture, you see that there's not a lot of words or a lot of uh, time that's given to the relationship or to the men. Jesus is not digging around asking for their names or what was the situation or how did the relationship end or where was the brokenness. No, it's like one or two verses that that just says Jesus knows about her life. Why is that? Why is that? It's because I believe Jesus is not here to damn her, here to deliver her. Church, hear that. Jesus is not here to damn you. Jesus is here to deliver you. That's what an encounter with grace and the truth is all about. It's not so that we would be damned. It's so that we might be delivered. An encounter with grace should not, cannot leave us as we are. True grace moves us toward the truth. And that means that we have to confront those very things and the very people and the places that we look to to give us our sense of worth, our worth of, uh, and security and our, our identity. These things actually that are good, but we've elevated way above what only God can offer to us. So we call these idols. These are things that we put way too much value into that cannot give back to us what we wish or what we need. These are the things that we hold dear, the things that we elevate above all else. These are the things that uh, master us, that, that are masters over us and keep us in captivity. We have to encounter the truth. Her thirst for men and relationships, it's only a symptom of a deeper heart need. And what is that? What is that? She wants to be accepted. She wants to be known. She wants to be loved. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't we all want that? Don't we all need that? My daughter Carissa, she has a water bottle and uh, she's in love with it. If you have a kid, then you know that every kid, they have their like favorite water bottle. And so when she wakes up in the morning, we start walking toward the kitchen and then she, her word for water is Mimi. So she goes, Mimi, Mimi. And so I grab the water bottle and as I put some water in it from the fridge, I put it down on the counter and I turn around. She already grabs the top and she spins it on and then she flips open the nozzle and she starts sucking from it. She's doing this, she's doing this, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, girl, you haven't given me the time to connect the straw inside so that you could actually get the water. But she's sucking and sucking. What is she sucking? She's just sucking on air. She thinks she's being satisfied. She thinks that she's drinking this water, but she's not. In other words, she hasn't allowed me, Appa, her father, to give her what she needs so that she might be sustained. King's Cross, I know this not only my daughter. So let me put it to you. What are you drinking from? What are you sucking from that you think is giving you life, but you're only getting air? 
What faulty water bottle are you drinking from that's only giving you air? Some of us are thirsty for a significant other or for a relationship or for a friendship to fully satisfy us. So we place these inappropriate expectations and these unhealthy expectations on the people that we date, even on the people that we marry, even on our friends, even on our community group members, that only God can satisfy And so we are in these cycles of looking toward others and grabbing others and pulling them in. And we're saying that you're my best friend, you're my best friend, and you're my best friend, and you got to know all of me, and here's everything. And you just vomit. You ever heard of vulnerable vomit? And you just spill all of it out? It is so unhealthy for us to do that. But what does it say about our hearts? We want to be known. We want to be loved. This is not to say that friendships and deep friendships, even with our spouses, yes, we should continue to have these relationships and grow them and develop them. But even our own spouses are not able or meant or designed to fully satisfy us in that kind of a way. I hope you hear that. Some of us are so thirsty for uh, recognition and for prestige and for power We spend about 70 or 80% of our time with our work or working. And so, of course, it's going to have a a big effect on our identity and who we are. We, We seek approval from our bosses and from our managers when we do a good job. And so even as we're doing the good job, we are thinking, maybe unconsciously or consciously, I hope they say something. I hope they let me know. I hope they praise me. And we're looking for this over and over and over again looking to people and to our work to give us that kind of a satisfaction in our souls. But what happens when you fail? What happens when you trip up? What what happens when you make a mistake or you blast out an email to the people that shouldn't be on there? You feel miserable. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to get out of bed and, and get dressed and get onto Zoom to get onto that meeting. No, you want to bury your head in your pillow inside your room and you just want to sleep it off. Some of you have made tremendous mistakes Some of you are in high elite jobs where you've probably lost a lot of money, maybe in the past month, because the economy is so bad. Some of us that uh, maybe are a little bit older or a little bit, um, uh, yeah, have more experience, maybe you're into your second career at this point. And so you got to the top of one mountain and you were looking around, you saw the horizon and you said, what's next? And then you're like, I see another mountaintop. I'm going to go there. And so you head down into the, va- into the valley. You're going up onto the hill. And then you get to the top of the mountain again. And the same question, what's next? Sometimes we look to our work for our satisfaction. And even work, as good as work is, is not to fully satisfy us and quench our thirst. Some of us are making big bucks and we're still thirsty. Some of us got two children and we're still thirsty. Some of us have two degrees and we're still thirsty. What's next? We all need an encounter with the truth, just like the Samaritan woman. We need to face the things, the very things that we are looking to, to give us life. But all we're drinking is air. 
It is unfair to the people around us, and it is so unhealthy for us. Now you're probably thinking, look, pastor, how are you going to come up here from Brooklyn and you're going to tell us all these things? Matter of fact, this is so much work. I don't want to do this right now. This is hard work. You're telling me about grace. You're telling me about truth. And some of us, actually our strategy right here, right now, it's happening right now as we are uh, talking, you're trying to intellectualize the conversation. Here we see, even with the Samaritan woman, that's her strategy, right? In verses 19 through 25, I'm not going to read it, but she starts uh, switching the, the, the conversation. Oh, is, is, is the Messiah supposed to come on uh, in Samaria or is it in Jerusalem? It becomes this theological dialogue. And that's what's happening with some of us when it, when it comes to our, uh, the things in our life. It is so easy or easier to talk about the mind and make things so logical. And it's so much harder to talk about what's going on in your heart. I don't know if this is a deflection or not, but what does Jesus do? Jesus sits with her patiently. Jesus is answering her questions. And I know this for a fact that here at King's Cross, your pastors, your elders, your deacons and deaconesses, and your staff appreciate and love your questions. And they want to sit down and talk to you about how the Bible makes sense, how it applies to your life, wants to talk to you about your doubts, about your faith, about all the questions you might have. They appreciate all of it. I know that for sure. And that's what Jesus does. But let me tell you, this is not everything. Because even if all of those answers are, all those questions are answered, she has not changed. Through this whole dialogue, she has not changed. She doesn't have any remorse or she's not changing her attitude because of what Jesus just shared with her, even though she might be theologically satisfied. Some of us have been here every Sunday for, I don't know, past two years, five years, and we're still in this place of questioning. We're still in this place of talking about Jesus or reading things about Jesus, but we have not encountered grace, truth, and Jesus. We are still seeing only a Jewish man or or a prophet. Maybe we're still hoping for a Messiah, but there must come a point in your life where the questioning turns into faith, and you can still have the questions too, where the, the mind games and the mind exercises turn into heart exercises, and, and actually you say, I believe. When this Jewish man is not just some ordinary prophet, but he is personal to you, where you can say, this is my Messiah. Verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The pin drops. Everything that she was looking for has been satisfied right here. The one that is speaking to you, I am he. Everything that she has been searching for in the five and the, and the sixth man right now, is quenched. All the questions that she's had, all the things she's trying to avoid, all the ways she's been trying to cope is being satisfied right here. Why? The first person, if you know the Bible, in the book of John, the first person that Jesus reveals his full identity to is the most unimportant but important person to Jesus. 
He has been sitting with her. John, in, in this text, this is the longest um, dialogue. There's, this is the longest exchange between Jesus and another person in the whole book of John. Who gets the, the, the prime time? It's this person who is unnamed, the Samaritan woman at the well that comes at noon. The most unimportant person gets the most words in the scripture of John. It's the last person that we would expect. A woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who has no friends, who got no group, has no influence, has no power, probably has no job. Person who's coming to the well by herself at noon, trying to avoid people. This is the one that Jesus had to go through Samaria for. This is the gospel. This is the sweetness of Jesus. You must encounter his grace and his truth. You must encounter Jesus. It's our final point. There's a uh, children's book called Chronicles of Narnia, The Silver Chair. And in it, there's a dialogue with this young girl named Jill and with Aslan, who is the lion, who is a Christ figure in the story. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I am, said Jill. I am so thirsty. I am dying of thirst. So come and drink, said Aslan. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away if I do come and drink from the stream? Will you promise not to do anything to me? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she moved a step closer and closer. Do you eat girls? She asked. Aslan said, I've eaten boys and girls, men and women, kings and realms, emperors and empires. And it wasn't saying this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry. It was just kind of saying it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh my gosh, then I guess I, I have to go and look for another stream. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. Jesus is not the seventh man on the list of men for this Samaritan woman. This is it. The buck stops here. Jesus is not winning the lottery, which happens to be the conversation that I'm having with all of our church members and all of, all of my friends back home. Winning the lottery. What would I do with this amount of money? Oh, I would love to win the lottery. He wants to satisfy you way more than money can. Jesus is not a exam passed or a new car or a new job or a new home or a big deal landed or an honor student child. He will satisfy you way more than that. There is no other stream. So if you've been searching, he's found you. If you're desperate, he's yours. If you're lost, you can come to him. If you are living a life of sin and shame, he can hide you. He can cover you. If you think that you are too dirty, you're not too dirty for him. If you think that you're broken, he will fix you up and make you brand new. Come to him. There is no other stream. You know how I know that? It's because the Samaritan woman was finally changed. She's finally changed. Look at this. She used to be she used to be the Samaritan woman who uh, came to the well at noon by herself and she didn't have any hope in her life. Again, she was just coping. She was just making it by. She was just waiting for her life to kind of end. She comes back to the town. It doesn't talk about this, but this is what I imagine. 
she's coming back to town talking about Jesus, and the, the, the women, the townspeople are not going, oh, another man that you're talking about, number seven, here we go again. Why is that not their response? It's because she must have been so changed. I mean, she must have been coming back to the town all happy and jolly. There's like a pep in her step. She, her eyes are glittery and, and there's, there's joy in her eyes. There's a smile on her face that hasn't been seen since she was a young uh, little child. There's a joy that's coming out of her. She's speaking with her hand. She's dynamic. She's got this energy. She's never met another man in her life before that has brought her to this level of change. No, this man is different. She's finally been satisfied. That's what I imagine. And that is why the women from the town are not going, oh, number seven? Here we go again? How can we get what she got? It's at the cross. It's at the cross where we see the full extent of God's grace. There, Jesus hung for our sins, and he is offering to each and every one of us. And some of you that have been Christians for years and years, you need to hear this again and again and again. That's why you come to be as a church and listen to the word every Sunday. That's why you open up the scriptures in the morning and at night, so that you might remind yourself and preach to yourself that this Jesus is a God of grace, that he offers himself freely to us, because the cost was priced and it was costly for him. But it's also at the cross we see the full extent of God's truth and the truth of our reality, that Jesus actually had to, he had to die for our sins, for our brokenness, for our dirtiness. Jesus doesn't in the exchange with the Samaritan woman say, oh no, you're, you're a water jar, your hydro flask is clean. He doesn't say that. He says, but I could take it. I can take it. You are not too dirty for me, but yeah, you are dirty. Yes, I am dirty. I am not uh, living the way that I ought to be. I'm looking for God in all of the different places in my life, and I'm not being satisfied. Your boss will not die for you. Even if you win the lottery, we all know if you read the stories and the accounts that all these people become depressed in several months, in a year. Your money is not going to die for you. Your pedigrees, your degrees are not going to die for you. Even if you have a family member and they die for you, you're still left with guilt in your heart. What do you do about that? Jesus dies for you so that your thirst, your heart might be fully satisfied and quenched. Whatever you're looking for in the world, only Jesus can satisfy. And please hear this. Work, our relationships, these people, these are all good things but they're not ultimate things. Only God, only Jesus can provide that. And we know that because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Jesus is a God who's resurrected, and that's the truth. That's the grace, is that our God does not stay dead. He is alive, and he is well. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. True and eternal life is only found in a resurrected Jesus. No other God can be resurrected. No other God will die for you. And so there is no other stream. Living water is offered to you again and again. If it's your first time here, if you are curious about Christianity, living water is offered to you. If you've been a Christian for decades, living water is offered to you again. It will change the way you treat yourself, and it'll change the way you treat one another. There is no other stream. 
But we get to encounter Jesus now as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. And um, it's here at the Lord's Supper that we get to see and experience God, Jesus, in both grace and truth. Because it's at this table where through the, the blood and the, the body of Jesus, we see the grace that is offered to us, that he is freely given this to us. But then we also see the truth of this reality, that Jesus had to die and it was costly to him. That's the truth. So let me pray for us as we partake together. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for my friends and neighbors that have come here. Thank you for the privilege to lead your word and the teaching this morning. God, thank you that you invite us into a life with you, that we might have living waters and that our souls might be satisfied. God, through the body and the blood of your son, Jesus, would we be strengthened and nourished for our spiritual journeys. In Jesus' name, we pray. Um, I don't know how you all do it here at King's Cross, but I'm going to do my best, and hopefully it's not too awkward. But the Lord's uh, Supper, communion, is an offer for all of us. If you are a Christian that is here today, you claim to be a baptized, you are a baptized Christian, you claim to be one, you are from a gospel-believing and preaching church, this meal is for you. No matter what you are going through, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter how dirty your life might seem to be, no matter what sins or cycles you are stuck in, please come forward because this is a meal of grace. It is so that you might come and be strengthened by faith on your spiritual journeys. If you are here today, you are not a Christian, you don't claim to be, but you're here, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being curious about Jesus and who he might be. Instead of coming up and partaking of the elements that you are very confused about, instead, would you stay uh, in your seats, remain in your seats, and in the bulletin, there are prayers that are written out that you can read over. In fact, if you do read it over and you want to believe it, or you are very close to believing it, there will be pastors and staff and leaders of the church after the service. They would love to talk with you and pray with you. So please come forward for that. On the night on which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and after breaking it, he gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after the supper, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. And for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, that is to say that we are preaching and re-preaching to ourselves the grace and the truth that we need from Jesus until he returns or calls us home. Let me invite up the deacons to come up. They're going to help serve the elements. And the way that you guys do it at this church at King's Cross is that you all will come up uh, individually, um, take the element back to your seat, and after everyone gets it and receives it, then we will partake of it all together as a church. All right, please come forward by faith. <laughs> 